We are going to be in 1 Peter this morning, and so if you want to go ahead and begin to turn there, uh, we are starting a series called 1 Peter, uh, Hope in the Midst of Suffering, and if you were to just read 1 Peter from beginning to end, just as a letter, as it's meant to be read, as a sermon, uh, then you would see over and over again in that, this short book that he, uh, Peter, that he talks about perseverance and suffering and the, the, the Christian experience here on this earth. He talks about that throughout. And so as we are reading this and studying this over the next several weeks and, and few months, I, I encourage you um, to, to pay attention to all the recurring themes that come up over and over again. If, if maybe you're just here, we have guests from Washington State, so you won't be able to hear all these sermons unless you listen online, but you can uh, read First Peter, and I encourage you to do this for all of you. Read First Peter today, and, and if you have some time after the service this afternoon, maybe after your nap, uh, for those of you who are lucky, and read First Peter and, and just prepare yourself for the fact that we are going to study this and you reading ahead is not going to ruin anything. It's just going to make it better. You're going to know when I'm up here preaching, you're already going to have thoughts and things that you're running through. In fact, our, uh, on Wednesday nights, we have a women's class that meets together. And um, it's, where's Carol? There you are. Uh, how far are y'all? Through verse 11. Y- y'all are going to get through a lot faster than me. Um, <laughs> And so they're studying First Peter on Wednesday nights in more depth as we're studying it on Sunday mornings and then revisiting it on Sunday nights. And so it, this is when you, when you read and study the Word of God and you allow it to be alive, well, it's going to be alive whether we allow it to or not. But if we um, surrender ourselves to what we're reading and we trust it and believe it and put it into action, then it is alive and it is... Uh, convicting us and challenging us every time we open it. Uh, just this past week, a few weeks ago, um, actually, I was uh, struggling with something, and I was really tired. It was the end of the day, and usually at the end of the day, I have one more little time where I read Scripture, study Scripture, and I didn't really want to do it. And, but, you know, it's a discipline. And so some, when you, even when you don't feel like doing it, you should, you should do it. And, uh, and so I, I opened the Bible and I started reading, and what I was reading was exactly what I needed to hear in that moment, you know, and how many times have we done that? I mean, now, look, I'm going to be honest, there are a lot of times when I open the Bible and I read it, and I'm just going through the motions, or we're reading this one part of Leviticus that's talking about, you know, what the robe should be like or something, and I'm just going to be honest, there are times when it's when the scripture is not speaking to me as powerfully as others. Um, But if I neglect reading his word, then I'm going to miss all the times that it does jump out. And so I encourage you, as we study 1 Peter together, to dive in and you study this as much as you want. If you would like things to read on the side, then come come find me and I will suggest some things. But uh, last week, we looked at the life of Peter, and we, we looked at the fact that um, Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. 
and he went everywhere with Jesus once Jesus called him. Uh, we, we, I'm not going to recap the whole sermon of last week, but I want to point out a few things because it's important for us as we move forward in, in today's passage. And uh, Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples. Jesus, of course, had 12 disciples, but he also, inside of that, had three that were went extra places with him and, and seemed to be his inner three, the core three of his 12. And uh, that they were Peter, James, and John. And, and so Peter was there in some very special moments with Jesus. Uh, but then at the end of Jesus' life, he was prophesying about his death that he had to die on a cross. And the disciples didn't understand what he was saying. And Peter said, I'll never let this happen. I will, I'll die before I let that happen to you. And Jesus says, well, to tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tonight, you will have to deny me three times. And so, as you know, um, Peter does deny Jesus three times. He, he, Jesus is arrested, and Peter and the disciples scatter. And someone asks Peter, do you, do you, hey, aren't you a follower of this man? Aren't you his friend? And Peter was like, I don't know him. And he does that three times. And a lot of us have made mistakes like that. A lot of us have made poor decisions. In fact, a lot of us have been in places where we've had an opportunity to make it clear that we know Jesus. And because of cowardice or peer pressure or whatever the case, we've backed down from that. And so we've been where Peter has been. And Peter was... uh, Making mistakes and acting before he thought was common in Peter's life, Um, sometimes for good and sometimes not so good. Uh, But there was this one time when he was on the boat with the other disciples, and Jesus was on the shore, and he came to them walking on water. And it was storming. The the disciples were scared, and and Peter, Peter, uh, when they realized that they think it's Jesus, he says, Lord, if it's you, call out to me and I'll come to you. And Jesus is like, all right, man, it's me. I don't know if that's exactly how he said it. But uh, Peter steps out of the boat and starts coming toward him. And, of course, as we talked about last week, he uh, gets distracted by the wind and the waves, but he does take a couple of steps on water before he sinks, which is a couple more steps than I've ever taken. And so even in those moments where Peter is... is acting maybe without thinking, uh, some of those worked out for good. Some of those were incredible faith moments. And so maybe you can relate to Peter. Maybe one of, you're one of those people who acts without thinking, Rose. <clears throat> um, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> that is definitely the opposite of Rose. Um, and so if you will turn with me to First Peter Chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, is that, those are the verses we will look at this morning. And as you're turning there, uh, I just want to make clear some, some last thoughts on Peter's life uh, from last week. After Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus appears to him once more. Jesus appears to Peter and the other disciples. And they have this conversation when it's just... Jesus and Peter, and John's kind of tagging behind. And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter is like, Simon Peter's, Peter's like, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. And Jesus asked him three times, just as Peter denied Jesus three times. And each time, 
he says, yes, I, I do love you. And Jesus is making a point that, you know, Peter is forgiven, but Peter has a responsibility to feed his sheep, to take care of the, the people that Jesus is leaving behind. And Peter does this. When the, after Jesus' ascension into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes, um, at the day of Pentecost, which is the day the Holy Spirit came, um, Peter preached and 3,000 people got saved. Peter was the one who started living for the Lord. Peter was the one who was arrested by the same type of people who killed Jesus and was, his life was threatened if he would not stop speaking in Jesus' name, uh, but he couldn't do that. He, he told them, I have to do what is right in God's eyes, not yours. And so he continued. Him and John, they, they were arrested, and yet they continued to, to preach the word of God. And so this is later when we get to 1 Peter. This is, um, depending on how you date things, most people believe that this was written about 64 A.D. And so this is a few decades after Christ's death. And when we look at this, I, I want you to remember, not the Peter who walked with Jesus, but the Peter who wrote the letter. Remember both, but let me ask you a question. How many in, of you in here, you can hide your hand if you need to, but how many of you in here are above 55 years old? Anybody in here above 55? One or two of you? Okay. Some of you held your hand up proud. I wouldn't go back for anything. Um, okay. For those of you who are 55, are you the, or older, are you the same person now as you were 30 years ago? You don't have to sound so depressed about it. Oh, no. Thank goodness. Man. Were you all in jail 30 years ago? What's... Anyway. Well, we need to remember that some time has passed between Peter, the brash young man, and Peter, the apostle, who was sent out by Jesus and who has continued to preach his word. Peter, who has worked alongside men like Paul um, to make sure that uh, Jewish people and Gentiles alike have heard the gospel, have heard about Jesus, who have heard the truth. And th this is a man who was transformed. We saw a little bit about that last week, but let's think about this. Before the crucifixion, Peter was denying that he even knew Christ. After the crucifixion, and Peter and others saw the resurrected Jesus, he was standing up to the very men who killed Jesus. Look at this change. And that's just in a matter of days. So imagine the change of walking with the Lord for as long as Peter did between the ascension and him writing this letter. And so I want you to think about that. And as we look at this morning's sermon, Elect Exiles, which you will understand as soon as we begin to read these two verses, God knows your trouble. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter 1, 1, and we were going to look at 1, 1 through 2. We were going to look at Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, but since we're going to do the Lord's Supper next week, then we will push those verses until next week, probably. 
But if you will look with me, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, I just preached a whole sermon on one word. How long is this going to take us? But okay, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, most of us understand the word disciple. Disciple is someone who has been taught by someone. And if you want to look at the biblical sense of discipleship, then a disciple is someone who has been taught by someone and then teaches others. And so to do the same. And so Peter is a disciple. We mentioned that earlier, the 12 disciples. Uh, but he is also called here an apostle. And an apostle, uh, in, in the, the language of the time, it just meant someone sent out. And so in this case, it does mean someone sent out. Peter has been sent out, just as others in the New Testament, to let people know about the love of Jesus. Um, but, as you know, many of you know, an apostle also is the word that we use in a reverent form to describe the people who spent time with Jesus while he was alive and continued on his mission after his death. And so, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. If we look at the New Testament, besides Jesus, there are two men who really stick out as making sure that what Jesus taught and the gospel, the truth, continued after his death. And of course, we have Peter and and Paul. And you can't read the New Testament. I mean, between those two guys, they make up a lot of the stuff written in the New Testament. Paul alone wrote a ton. And if you consider that most people believe, I believe, that Peter is the one who inspired Mark in his gospel, then we have a lot of the New Testament written by Peter and Paul. And so here we have Peter, who I've already mentioned was close to Jesus, and who we have this letter written to certain people that we're about to read about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all of verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to go back and look at this word by word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So, we've already looked at the first part of verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and let's continue. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So what does that mean? Because we read that today, and if we don't have a little history, we might not know what that means. We know what elect means in a sense uh, of the way we use it in modern English, that someone has been chosen, elected for something. And so scripturally speaking, to those who, who are elect, this is talking about the people that God knew would come to faith in him. The people that God knew before the earth was created that those people would be saved. That doesn't mean that we don't have choice in our salvation. We do have choice. I believe that. That we uh, have the responsibility to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. We have the responsibility to put our faith in him for salvation, as Scripture clearly talks about over and over again, Um, or we have the opportunity to deny him. We have the opportunity 
when God convicts us, when he makes himself known to us, he, he takes the first steps. He sent his son. He has proven his love for us. And with that love and with that truth, we have the responsibility to re- re- reply to that. Are we going to accept his invitation of relationship and salvation? Or are we going to reject that? And many of us have already chosen to follow him. But all of us in here probably at one point rejected God in some sense, even if it was only temporarily. We, most of us in here, the first time we heard about Jesus, we didn't get saved. We didn't commit our life to him. We didn't put our faith in him. It took some time. And so this is speaking from God's view, from God's perspective. And God knows all. We read over and over and over and over again in the New Testament how God knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. We read over and over again how in the Old Testament we can go and we can read a prophecy where God says through his prophet, if you don't do this, then this will happen. Or if you do this, then this will happen. And we see over and over and over again where when the people don't heed the warning, the thing that was prophesied comes to pass. God knows everything. And if we don't have faith in him, that could be a scary thought. Because we could think, if God knows everything, then why is he allowing this suffering? If God knows everything and he's all-powerful, then why are these things happening to me? And what we're going to see throughout 1 Peter is that, yes, God knows. Yes, God is in control. But it's a long game. It's more about eternity than it is about this moment. And yet, God is in the moment with us. And he knows the power of a moment. He knows the impact that one moment can have on eternity. And so when we're looking in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and we see to those who are elect, he's saying, Peter is saying, I am writing this to Christians. I am writing this to people who profess Jesus. And so let's keep that in mind as we're studying that this letter is to Christians. Now, elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, this is something that is in the Old Testament and and earlier in Jewish history, I should say. We see that the uh, Jewish people were taken from their homes, that they were scattered from their homes And they had to go off in exile to certain places like Babylon or others. And that was called the diaspora and the dispersion. And when we look at this in a New Testament sense, Peter is using this to say, those of you who are receiving persecution, those of you who are elect, you're living for Christ, and you're receiving this persecution, and you are where you are, and you're in exile. That exile, they're not necessarily taken from their homes, um, but they are receiving the persecution and they are not at their home. Because as Kenny 
talked about this morning as we were singing. Where is our home for those of us who are Christians? Heaven, with God. And so we are sojourners here. We are just traveling through, passing through. And when we look at this, Peter, right off the bat, is saying, I see your situation, I see your suffering, but it's temporary because this is not your home. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, and he names specific places. Now, these places, uh, if we were to look on a map today, it would be modern-day Turkey, and so above uh, the Mediterranean Sea and below the Black Sea. I know all of you uh, geography buffs uh, are excited that I just mentioned the map, uh, but I'm not going to stay there too long. We'll keep moving. I can't talk about the English language too much because people get bored. That's my major English, and so I can't talk about geography that much. Uh, but I will, I will say this about it, is that uh, in that area of modern-day Turkey, there were these regions, and these regions are named here. And there were little towns within those regions, uh, but, but basically, this is a large area. And he's saying, for all of these people here, and he's naming these cities in clockwise manner, and so what would happen is someone would take this letter, and they would take it to the first stop, Pontius, and then they would keep taking the letter around. And people would hear the letter read as a sermon, as something they could study. I'm sure they made copies of it. I'm sure that when it got to the town, that all the churches from these, uh, when it got to the region, that all the churches from that region came, and they all made copies, and they all went back to their churches, and they all said what Peter uh, read, that Silas, as we'll see later, Sylvanus, um, delivered. And so, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are all just regions, regions in that area. Verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in, sanct- in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood. And then there's a colon and the, the uh, blessing. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. We've talked about God's foreknowledge. We talked about how He knows what's going to happen before it happens. And He knew that they were going to be in this place. And, and does God have his hand on um, the direction and the flow of history? Yes, of course. That doesn't mean that uh, we don't have choices and we don't have actions, but we see God show up in our everyday lives. We see God show up in big ways, and God knows what's going to happen. He knew that they were going to be here. And so how do we apply this to our lives? Well, how many of you have ever experienced suffering? How many of you have ever felt out of place? How many of you have ever felt like you don't know how you ended up right here, but you don't like it? How many of you have ever felt like this is not your home? If you felt those things, then you have a little taste of what the recipients of this letter felt, the elect exiles in these places. And yet, Peter is reminding them that they are there for a purpose. I I cannot tell you how many times I've encountered a situation that 
I did not enjoy. And Rose was there to remind me, just persevere. God knew this was going to happen. God knew that this was coming. And if he's allowed it to happen, then he's going to use it for your good. He's going to use it for his glory. And it might not feel that way or look that way in the temporary, but it is. And that's why Peter is writing this letter. Peter is being the voice of encouragement to these Peter, to these Peters, to these people who are dispersed, who are not in heaven yet, who have made a decision to follow Jesus. And in that time, if you made a decision to follow Jesus in the Roman Empire at that time, then there was great persecution if people found out. And due to their faith and their boldness and their desire for others to know Jesus and his love and the truth, they didn't keep their mouth closed. They told people. And a lot of people were coming to know the Lord. And if it wasn't for these people's faithfulness, we might not be here today. I might not have the privilege to stand behind a pulpit with glass doors where anybody can see us, where anybody can walk in, where we have the freedom to preach the gospel. Now, I'm not saying we won't receive a little persecution. And sometimes um, we receive ridicule because of the manner in which we try to preach the gospel. We're not doing it in love. We're doing it to argue and to be right. If, if you want to know what I'm talking about, just get on Facebook for about two minutes. And then other times we receive ridicule, um, not because of anything that we have done necessarily, except for obey Jesus, but we receive ridicule because there will always be people who are anti-Jesus. There will always be people who go against what God desires. And so for you today, how do we respond to these verses? Well, we respond by knowing that God knows what we're going through. God knows where we are. He knew this was coming before he created you. This has not caught him by surprise. And if you are one of his followers, then Romans 8.28 says that he is, for those who are called according to his will, according to his purposes, that he will work all things together for good. That means that the pain and the suffering that the exiles that we're reading about, the citizens of these areas, the pain and the suffering that they were going through, God was going to work it together for his good. And that means for you, right here, right now, whatever you're going through, God is going to work it together for his good. But, he might define good differently than we define good. And that's where we sometimes get into trouble is that we think we know what good is, and so we're looking for the good outcome of, that we have in mind, and his good outcome might be something completely different. Let's take into consideration the, the people that we love who have a relationship with Jesus and get sick. Should we pray for them to be healed? Absolutely. There is biblical precedent. We see it over and over again where it is okay and right for us to pray for the ones that we love who are sick. But it's also okay for God to be God and for God to know what is best. And if God's desire is for a person to leave this world in this moment, then who are we to argue? 
Does that mean we shouldn't grieve? No, we should grieve. We're human beings. We have emotions. We have to work through things. We should hurt. We should cry. We should feel pain. We should get angry. And we should make sure that we're doing those things in a way that doesn't lead us to sin. But we have to trust God. We have to trust that He knows what He's doing. I don't even know like which examples to use of all the times that God has used suffering in my life to further His kingdom and to, to do good and to make me a better man. Some of you are thinking, He hasn't done enough bad in your life because you've got some improving to do. Truth. But I think of a story of the young lady. If you've ever read uh, Crazy Love by Francis Chan, this story is in there. This young lady who just had a desire to give out Bibles. That was her desire, her main desire, was to, to make sure people had Bibles if they wanted a copy of the Bible. And she began collecting Bibles, and she would have one or two, and she would give those away. And then she would have a few more, like, in her garage where people would, had donated them to her, and she would make sure that people had them. Um, and this young lady died at a young age. And at her funeral, there was an untold number of Bibles brought and given, and those Bibles went out. Now, we can't make these types of decisions with our knowledge about when it's right for someone to pass, when it's right for, um, for us to find a way out of suffering and, and that's, that looks dangerous. These are things that God knows because he's perfect and he's God and because of his omniscience, his all-knowing nature if you can use the word nature when describing God. And so we have to be careful when we're considering what is best for the future and what do we do here in this suffering and, and this can't be good because I know what good is and this isn't good. Well, God, He's perfect. He knows in a way that we don't. And that's where faith comes in. And that's why when things don't look good, sometimes we just have to say, God, this does not look good. You have promised good. And so I believe that you will do good. But right now, I need you. I need you to show up. I need you to give me peace. I need you to give me faith. Because it's hard to trust you when my circumstances are like this. It is okay to be that honest with God. That's what you're supposed to do. God knows how you feel and what you think, even if you don't tell him. And so... Obviously, he's God. Let's be reverent. Let's be fearful of the Lord in a, in a way that we know he's God and we're not in, in a respectful, reverent way. Uh, let's fear the Lord. But we also know that through the blood of Christ, which we're going to close with here, that we have an opportunity to come to Jesus, to come to God and ask for things, not because of our merit, not because of anything that we have done, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Jesus gave his life so that we could have a relationship with the Father. Jesus gave his life so that we could come to the Father in times of suffering and find purpose. And so that's what Peter is saying here. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, remember, they're Christians, they're elect, they're, they're saved, they have a relationship with God, 
They're going through suffering, and God is using that suffering through the Holy Spirit to sanctify them. That just means he set them apart for a purpose. He's making them more and more into his image. And we're going to talk about this some more in coming weeks. But in their suffering, they can trust that not only is God working things together for good, but he is changing them. How many of you have gone through suffering in your past and it has made you a better person? That's how God uses suffering. God knows what he's doing. In fact, uh, in the Bible study, one-on-one with God, there's this quote um, by a guy named Preacher Halleck. And he was asking at the end of his life what he could do differently. If, he, if, if, if there was anything he could do differently, what would it have been? And he said he would have asked God to double the trouble because it was in the trouble that God transformed him and grew him. And I don't know if I'm bold enough to request that. I'm I'm barely surviving with the trouble I have. So that's just my immaturity and my lack of faith. But we can know that God uses trouble and trials and suffering for our good, for our sanctification. So not only is he working things together for good for his kingdom, and is he going to use this so that others can know him and for the eternal good, uh, but he's doing it for our good, for this, our soul's good, for our, where we are in our relationship with Jesus and in our maturity with him. He's doing it for good. For obedience. Why is he doing that? Why is he changing us? Why is he transforming us? So that we can obey God. And when we think of obedience, a lot of times we just think of a checklist, a set of rules. But in the New Testament, Obedience means love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so when we think of obedience, let's think of radical, life-altering love. That we are going to put God first, and we are going to put others before ourselves, that we are going to love. And that's how God uses suffering. If we submit to him and we surrender to him. But let me tell you what we all know and what we've all seen is that sometimes when we go through suffering, when we go through hardships, and we don't rely on God, we don't put our faith in God and his foreknowledge and that he's working all things together for good, then what happens? We become bitter. And I can speak from experience. I'm not preaching this message telling you, I am so good at this and you should follow my example. I'm preaching this message telling you that I am terrible at this. I'm terrible at having faith in trials. I'm terrible of of trusting God in the suffering. I'm thankful that I have a wife and friends in a church who help me to remember truth in those moments. Because the truth is, is that in suffering, that's what God does. But also, if we choose, because we have choice, Not to rely on God in the midst of our suffering, a lot of times that just leads to anger and bitterness. And it it causes a division between us and God. Not that we lose our salvation or anything like that if we're Christians, but our fellowship with Him, our intimacy with Him. Something is disturbed. And we're mad about it. And we don't come back to Him. And There's just a distance that grows. He hasn't gone anywhere. We're the ones who are distancing ourselves from him. 
And so my challenge to you is this, is to rely on God during those difficult times, to have faith in him, trust him that he knows what he's doing, that he's working it together for good. And can I just say that if you're here this morning and you're listening to this message, then maybe this is exactly what you needed to hear to prevent you and protect you from bitterness and to lead you to trust in God in this hardship and this difficulty. And the thing about hardships and difficulties is, is if we're not in one right now, we must have just got out of one or we're just heading into one because it's just the reality of life. Life can be difficult. But we have to preach truth. We have to live truth for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. He is making us more and more into his image. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. If we're going to trust Christ in the hard times, then grace and peace will be multiplied to us. Sometimes right in the middle of the chaos comes peace. And so where are you this morning? Are you trusting God? We're going to pray, and after our prayer, we'll have a time of invitation. And during this time of invitation, all this is is that I'm going to walk right here up front, and if you need someone to pray with you, I'll be right here. Or if you want to come to the altar and and pray and have room to get on your knees, then feel free to do that. If, If you have never followed Jesus and you want to know how to do that, then come talk to me or grab me after the service if, if, that, if you're more comfortable with that. If you've never been baptized and followed the Lord in that way and you want to do that, then, then I'll be here to receive you. Or maybe you have been visiting our church and you're ready to join, then I encourage you to do that. But let's respond to God in whatever way he's leading us. Would you stand as we pray? Lord, we love you. And uh, God, I thank you for the beauty that you have brought through our trials and our tribulations, Lord, and how you have transformed us and changed us and made us more into your image. And God, I don't know how you work all things together. I'm not you and I don't see it all, but I trust that you're doing it. And I've seen time and time again where you have done so. And so God, I pray for anyone in here right now who's suffering, who feels like an elect exile and dispersion, Lord. I pray for those who who feel far from home. Lord, while we're on this side of heaven, we are going to experience suffering and we are going to experience pain. And we know that there will be one day where we dwell with you where we will experience none of that, where there'll be no more cancer, no more sickness, no more tears. You're going to wipe away all of that. But right now, we're still here and we need you. So I pray that you would show up this morning in a big way, that you would give us peace, that you would give us faith, that we could trust you in the hard times. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You respond to God in whatever way he's leading. Thank you for coming this morning. Uh, I hope that God encouraged you through his word and challenged you through his word. If you are going through uh, a time of suffering, then I just want to invite you to reach out to me that I am here if you need me. Um, If you want to stick around and talk to me now, that's fine. If you want to talk to me later, I have some business cards on the outside of the office if you want to give me a call later. Or there's most of the people in the church have my phone number, so feel free to give me a call. Um, And I don't know that I can help in any way except to encourage, to pray, to be there for you. And I just want to let you know that uh, we as a church, uh, we love you. We love our community. We want to be a church that is there for those who are suffering. And we're there for each other when we're the ones suffering. 
And so I want to say thank you to all of those who have encouraged me during times of my suffering. But thank you for coming this morning. We will be back here tonight at 6 p.m. for worship. And remember that if you want to look at the silent auction stuff, it's in the fellowship hall right back here. Thank y'all for coming. Um, I'm going to ask Matt, if you would, to dismiss us in prayer, and then we'll see y'all later.